0: You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees from Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, recorded Sunday, October 16, 2022. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, svbcfamily.com, or you can find us on all things social, at svbcfamily. Can I brag a little bit on Jesus for a second? Isn't he something? At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no other name in, in heaven or on earth for which men and women can be saved. It is the name above every name. And you want to know what? Jesus, the second person that God has, is worthy of that name. He's the only one worthy to crack open the scrolls that they talk about in Revelation. Jesus is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. We come to him not because he needs us, because we need him. And the cool thing is, is he wants us. I'll tell you what, I know my heart. I know me. I don't get what he sees in me. I really don't. If you want to get, I mean, really honest about ourselves, sometimes we get these inflated opinions of ourselves, but where it really comes down to it. I don't see what God sees in me. What he sees in me is the fact that he created me in His image. and he wanted, he wanted a family. We were talking about this in Sunday school. It is so cool that, the, that, the, that the, the God of creation, John chapter one, tells us that Jesus created everything that was ever created, that that Jesus wants a relationship with us. Isn't that cool? He's the same Jesus that when we speak his name, Satan must bow his knee. Satan himself must bow his knee at the name of Jesus. That is a cool thing. He is Messiah. He is the promised Messiah that, that was first promised when we start seeing cues about Messiah in Genesis chapter 3 that early. He's that same Messiah. He came to save us. He came to love us. He came to set us free. He came not just so that we could live, so we can live abundantly, that we can live with joy, that we don't have to be depressed, we don't have to be sad, we don't have to live in bondage. We don't have to have addictions. We don't have to have any of these things, even though we struggle with those things. He has the ability to set us free because it is the name above all names. The creator can fix his creation. Isn't that exciting stuff? That is exciting stuff. Bless you, Jesus. That song just gets me going. I love that song. And by the way, don't drink energy drinks. They're bad for you. I had an hour of sleep last night, so you got to cut me a little slack. But I am really excited. I've told you I'm excited to be here, and that's true, but I'm even more excited about Jesus. I'm more excited about what Jesus wants to do in every single one of your lives. I can assure you, and this isn't the sermon, I'm getting to it, I promise. I can assure you, you are not here by accident. I can assure you that for one way or another, for one thing that God either put somebody in your life or you, you drove by and you saw the building or you were on 81 and saw the sign. I don't know what first caught your attention in this church. You may have been here from when it started. But I'm telling you, it was not an accident. Jesus has brought you here for a reason. And you are an important part of this body. There's not a single one of you that's not important to this body, this This church. There's not a single one of you that isn't important to Christ. You you know, it's not scriptural, but I believe it. If you were the only one here, he would have still came and died for you. I believe that. I believe his love for every one of us is that great. If you were the only one, I believe you would have came. And I believe you would have had to have nailed him to the cross. Think about that one. You were the only one. You would have had to be. And you want to know what? We did. He never sinned. You know, we were talking about that in Sunday school. We talked about that in church last week. God is holy. He's without sin. He's without infirmity. He's none of those things. Jesus did not deserve the price that he paid. Our sins put him there. His love for us put him there. So we did hang him on that cross it might have been a long time ago but he knew here's the beautiful thing about god he knows it all he knows the past he doesn't he knows the present he knows the future he knew there was going to be a you he did and he came he came to set you free that's exciting stuff that's my jesus that's my jesus amen okay this might be the last one in the sermon series. I, I called it death of a church just because, to be honest, I thought if we put it on the sign, it might catch somebody's attention. But it is. We were looking, and it did, actually. I actually had people to the college come to me. I didn't even know they knew my name. I said, what's that sign all about? So it worked. It did. But the thing was is, is the death of a church, the reason I called it that is we've been looking at church killers because there are certain things and we spent the last 2 weeks looking at the seven churches in revelations in the book of revelation you know two of them were doing just fine you know they they, they had issues but god had nothing but had nothing but good things to say so five of them were making mistakes big mistakes where jesus even threatened one of them that he was going to remove their lampstand which mean he was going to remove their church from existence there was another one that he he, he threatened to spit them out of his mouth you know, so there was. So, why do we look at these things? Because if, 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 if G, when Jesus was talking to John and he was writing all this stuff down, you, you know, so apparently there's things that we need to not do, because we can actually become not productive, we're not really blessed in what we do here. I don't want to be a carnal church. I don't want to be a fleshly church. I don't want to be a church who's only interested, again, we talked about this last week, the reputation we have with man, because you know what? We shouldn't care less. You know, compared to God, we shouldn't care less about anybody else's opinion. If we are working for God and we are doing things the way He wants us to do and we are in the center of His will, He works everything else out. Seek first the kingdom of God, and he does the rest. So what we want to do is we've been looking at these, what I call, church killers. These, these, these different things that we want to make sure. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that this applies to us. I'm saying this, this whole series is about self-reflection. It's about looking at, just making sure that these aren't attitudes or these aren't things that we were doing. So what... What is a major cause of death in churches? I'm going to give you the answer. A vitamin C deficiency. It's a vitamin C deficiency. Does anybody know where I'm going with this? Christ. Vitamin C. Is the church of Jesus Christ, the, the bride of Jesus, is he deficient in the church? Is there not enough of him in the church? God, I'll tell you what, he wants to be in every aspect. So if, he, if there's parts in our church or any church where Christ isn't, it's because we've not let him there or we've not given that to him or we've, not, or we've resisted him. Do we want to be a church that resists what Christ wants to do for us? and through us, and with us, my guess is no. My answer, my answer is no. I don't want to be deficient in vitamin C. So what's an indicator? We're going to look at two of them. An indicator of a vitamin C deficiency, a lack of love. How much love is in the church? Let me brag on you guys for a second. You know my buddy Kevin and his wife Jamie was in his back. They came to visit last week. When I was leaving, of course, I had, a, had we had a meeting, so I was going back. But I saw a circle of people around them, you know, welcoming them, giving them the cool cups, you know, just just you know, oohing and alling over their babies. That's love. I'm proud of you guys. I am. That is a godly thing to do. To welcome the outsider, to welcome the visitor, and just make them feel comfortable to come back. And they've told me they plan on coming back. And why? Not just because you yes, have such a great pastor, <laughs> it's because they felt welcome. You guys did that. I didn't do that. A lack of love. I, used, I talked about this, this scripture a couple of weeks ago. Sunday school, you have to forgive me, I don't think it was last week, but when you talk about so much stuff all the time, it just all runs together sometimes. Matthew 22, this is the first part of it, 34 and 36 says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, so, so first, who are Sadducees and Pharisees? There, there were four major groups or philosophies in, in, in the Jewish world, you know, at the time of Jesus You know, there was the group that we call the Sadducees. These folks worked in the temple. You you know, they they were hard worker, 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 workers. But they only believed in the first five books of the Bible, of, of what we call the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. That's all they believed. They didn't believe that there was any afterlife. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in any of these things. Those were the Sadducees. But if you wanted to talk the Pentateuch, if you wanted to talk the first five books of what we call the first five books of the Old Testament... They 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 were on their stuff. They they knew their stuff. Well then there was the Pharisees. You know, these these were you know these were the, the interpreters, teachers, they they were the leaders, you know, in many ways. But these these guys They believed in the prophets, and they believed in these things. So we see sometimes they believed in an afterlife, and they believed, you know, all these things. So you see sometimes we see tension between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But one thing they had in common in this passage is they both didn't like Jesus. They were both trying to trip up Jesus. And then just very quickly, then there were the Zealots. We know know about the Zealots, You, you know, because of their great zeal. I mean, they were almost... I mean, they were almost like the, their own little military. I mean, they would do. I mean, they, they they didn't they didn't care if they killed people if it was furthering the cause of God. But they were very zealous. In fact, they were a big key reason why in seventy A.D. Why, you know, that what brought the Ro- the wrath of Rome down on, on, on Jerusalem. But then there was the ensigns. They they were kind of like what we would call you know, Arab Puritans. They they they, they were separatists. And on the sidebar, that's what was really cool about the Festival of Lights what we call Hanukkah. It's the purging of the temple was the only time in history we see all four of these groups working together for the cause of God. And the four, all four of these groups purged the temple, a really cool thing. That's why Hanukkah is still important. It really, really is, the Festival of Lights. So the Sadducees in this passage, they tried to trip up Jesus, and guess what? They couldn't do it. I can tell you, you're never going to trip up Jesus. It's just not going to happen. You might think you're smart. You're not that smart. So the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. So if the Pharisees are calling you an expert, you, you are a legal eagle. I, I mean, you were the star student. You were a teacher's pet. You know, so they thought, okay, if anybody's going to get Jesus, it's going to be this guy. He knows the stuff. So, so he throws this out there. Teacher, which the, is the greatest commandments? in the law continuing on the 37 and 40 Jesus replied love the lord your god with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments there's a lot of stuff to unpack here and i'm going to do it quickly because you know, that's a sermon in itself just this little passage the But the love of God is is something that when I ask if your church is deficient in the love of God, if it is, there's something that needs to be fixed because God, this isn't a request. God doesn't request us. He says, please love me with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first thing. He doesn't ask. It's a commandment. It's a requirement. You have to do it. To be, and if you do not love God, that is a church killer. Because if you do not love God, he can't use you. Well, I guess if you use the donkey, God can do whatever he wants, but he won't use you. I I can assure you, I've seen this. People whose hearts are not where they're supposed to be, and if they don't have the love for God that, that, that they should have, he just generally does not use these folks. So if we in the church have a love issue with god we need to pray about that we need to say lord help us love you more i don't want to be a fake i don't want to be a hypocrite i want my love for you to be the real deal because if it's not i can assure you the church will go nowhere it will go nowhere and i'm going to come back to the second part of that so here's my here's a question is your love for god genuine or is it just lip service and again, I'm not throwing stones at anyone here. Th- these are questions I want you to ask yourself. Do I just tell God what I think He wants to hear? The, 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 the Romans, the, the little the Romans thing that we, we, we recited for years and years, the Romans road for, you know, did you just get down on your knees? Somebody's going to have to help me up. Lord, I know I've sinned. I, I need you. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Did you say that just because you were taught that that was necessary, or did you do that because you really recognize the fact that you have sinned, you really recognize the fact that you need him, and that Jesus is the only way to the the Father? Or did you just, was it lip service? Were you just saying it? I can honestly say, I've known pastors, I've seen this. Pastors, when an invitation had come at a church, that they came forward to accept Christ. Pastors. So it is easy sometimes to give God lip service. We know what he wants us to say. We know what he wants us to feel. Well, I'm telling you what, if you're just saying it, and you're not doing it, and you're not really feeling it, I've said from this pulpit in just the short time I've been here, God will not be mocked. You can't pull the wool over on his eyes if you are faking it. He knows it. He does. Is it just lip service? Here's another big one. Is your faith your own or was it how you were raised? You know, a lot of folks didn't grow up in church, but a lot did. You know, is your faith in Christ actual faith in Christ? Or was it because when you were a little guy or a little gal, when you were coming up in your church, you saying, Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Is your faith based on the fact that you were just taught that and it really hasn't sank in, that yes, Jesus loves you? that the Bible really does tell you so. I'll tell you what, just because you, you, you live in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. I've heard that many times over the years, but it's true. Just because you come to church and you tell your brother and your sister to the left and the right that I, 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 just, I just love Jesus, is it, is it real or is it just because that's what you've been taught to say? And again, I'm not throwing stones at anybody. This might not apply to anyone in here. But I'm saying that even if there's somebody who's been in church for a long time and you have to question whether or not your faith is really your faith or if it's your parents' faith or if your, 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 your love for God is genuine, it's time to get that thing right with God. You will not move forward spiritually Unless these two things are right, you can't. And I can assure you, if there are people faking it in the church, the church will not move forward either. They won't.' It's, it's not because it's, it's not because that the God can't. what's it? It's like you, you, you put that. You put that little bit of leaven in the bread, and it just kind of ex- explodes and gets bigger. And, and, and you know, so when you have people faking it, it has a way of just, of just getting in the fiber of, of, of the church, and maybe they go they leave out of here and they say things that aren't a good rep- representation of the church. And, and then when the world sees that, and they, and they label you as a fake, because you are a fake. That will be a hindrance to the moving forward of the church. It just is. Here's the thing, too. When I talk about stuff like this, this is not a a beat-you-up type sermon. It's a sermon that I want us to be real with ourselves. And again, if it doesn't apply to you, awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. You're on the right path. But I'm saying we need to we need to make sure their heart is right before God. Is our love for God real? God, this isn't a new thing. Let's, let's look at Isaiah 29, 13. This isn't a new problem. This isn't a new problem in the church. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based... On merely human rules that they have been taught. See how God tied those things together in one verse? Lip service, and just doing the emotions because that was what you were taught to do. Let me read that again. This is the NIV. I can't say this enough. Whatever version that you read, please bring that and read it. I'm not pushing the NIV off on anybody. Isaiah 29 13. This is the way it's worded in the NIV. I want to say this again. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to stand up here and praise the name of Jesus just because you give me a paycheck. I don't want to be a fake. And I can assure you, I'm sure there are people who do. My paycheck is the way you bless me. That's not why I'm here. I want to make sure that I'm not saying the things. Again, I've I've got all these, these fancy degrees. I don't want to just say what I've been taught in seminary just because I know that's what people want to hear. I, don't wanna, I just don't want to say the stuff that I know that might grow a church because it, it sounds good to me. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to honor God and even this church just with my lips. I want my heart to be where it needs to be. I want my heart, I want the heart of this church to be where it needs to be, focused on God. Because if again, if we seek Him first in His kingdom, everything else is added. When we start exalting the name of Christ on a regular basis, and we start putting Him first in in front of our own wants and our own desires and our own agendas, and the thing that we want to have when we start doing that, see this section of pews right here? It's going to be filled. See these little, and here's the thing I don't care about numbers. If we stayed this size because that's what God ordained and we were healthy, I'm happy with that. But the reality is when we exalt the name of Jesus and we lift him up, the Father draws people to us. And the Holy Spirit reaches out and draws people to us. And and you're going to see a difference in the church when we start being what we need to be, not because it's what we're supposed to say, not because we're giving God lip service, and just because we know this is what He wants to say, we, we, when we start saying it because we mean it, and we love Him, and we get excited about Him, and when we speak the name of Jesus over depression and anxiety and addictions and all of these things, God will send these people to us. Not because He cares about how big we are, but because we're exalting His Son. When we lift the name of Jesus, that catches the attention of the Father. And he blesses us. But it's got to be real. We can't be fake. We can't be fake. Are you the same person outside the church that you are inside the church? If you say that you are the same all the time, You're lying to me. You're lying to yourself if you think that. And again, this isn't ugly. We are flesh. All For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have. We've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. We have. But when we are consistently a different person when we walk out that door than what we are in here, there's a problem. People see it, and they know it. The world is smart enough to spot a fake. They are. Why? Because so many of them are fake. Birds of a feather flock together. They know when you're faking it because they know all about it. We have to be the same person on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and I don't care if you're on the front pew, the back pew, or you're in your car going down 81, or you're in your workplace, or wherever the heck you are, or if you're on the the internet and you're watching us from the other side of the world, I don't care. You have to be the same person. You have to strive to be the same person here, because what is the deal with integrity? What is integrity? And and integrity is always doing the right thing, even when nobody else is looking. It's doing the right thing because it's the right thing. Will you fall short? You will absolutely fall short. But we need to strive towards being people of integrity. We need to strive towards being the same outside of the church as we are in the church. And I mentioned this the other day when we were out here. Some churches put on top of their, their, their doorway when you go out. The church is now leaving the building. This is not the church You are the church. You take the church with you when you walk out of this door. So it is important that you represent Christ outside of this place. Because if you don't represent Christ outside of this place, why do it here? Don't be a fraud. And again, I'm not talking about making mistakes. We all make mistakes. But if you are consistently a different person outside of here, there's something wrong. This isn't an exact quote from James 1.8. It, it's, it's pulled out. I'm not exactly proof texting here, but, but James 1.8 says that a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. So if you try to be a righteous person and an unrighteous person, you are not just unstable in your faith, you are unstable in Everything. 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 What else do we talk? Double-minded. The Bible talks a lot about double-minded. What's another th- word we have? Fork-tongued. If you're a fork-tongued person, your tongue speaks one thing this way and another thing that way. You're unstable in all your ways. Don't be that person. When you do do that, repent. Repent. What is repent? I Don't care if I say this every single week. What is repent? A repent to repent is to agree with God that you've made a mistake, and that you want to turn from that thing and try your best not to do it again. Repentance is an act of turning. Teshuvah, I talked about that. It's not just being sorry. I said this last week. What's what's Toby Max saying? All, All those things, that an apology without a change is just a manipulation. We can't manipulate God. We need to agree with Him when we've fallen short and we need to turn from that thing and head toward Him and away from that thing that we struggle with. Is it going to draw you back? Sometimes it absolutely is. Or are you going to fall? Sometimes you know the whole thing. When I was when I was dealing with a, with with recovery ministry, I can assure you, and I've learned this firsthand, that relapse is part of the process. So I assure you, even in a in a in a in a, in a way with righteousness and holiness, that the part of Part of that growth is that relapse. But the, but the thing is, is when it happens, you get back up. You don't lay down and die. And, and you stand up and say, God, I need your help. I need you. I can't do this on my own. I'm just flesh. I'm just bones. I'm a, I'm a mess. I need you. God, I agree with you. Here's the thing about forgiveness. And we were talking about this in Sunday school. You don't have to keep asking forgiveness because you're not forgiven. The cross of Christ, when he died on the cross, he forgave you for everything you ever did, everything you're doing, and everything you will ever do. The forgiveness is already there. The repentance is about the agreement and the growth and just trying not to do the same thing again. The strive towards holiness, that's what repentance is about Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's not about being perfect. It's about agreeing with God and heading in his direction, saying, I need you because I can't do it on my own. I don't want to be a double-minded man. Let's get more of this people. Do you love one another? I've seen a lot of love in this church. I've seen a lot of people taking care of one another. I've seen a lot of people. I can tell you I've seen this. I haven't been here very long, but I've seen you love on each other. I've seen you be concerned over one another. I saw you, like I said, with the visitors last week. You, you know, you just just swarming around them. So you do have love. But Jesus has something pretty profound to say about this in John thirteen thirty five. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What makes you different? What catches the world's attention? What can you do to let the world know that you belong to Jesus? And it's to love the person to your left and to your right, and to the person that's in front of you and behind you, and any person that walks in here. The way that, that, that people will know that you belong to Jesus is your love for one another. That's the second commandment. We read that. I'm not going to skip back to that. The second commandment was like the first. You know, the greatest love one another. Love one another. And that is how people know that you belong to Jesus by your love. Let's get real now. When people walk into the church and they walk out of here after interacting with us, do they feel like they were loved? Do they feel like they were condemned? Do they feel like that we were standing here with a bunch of rocks ready to to stone them to death? You know, do we, as somebody, because well, you've seen how I dress. By the way, I apologize for my wife because she complains that I wear wrinkly clothes, but I don't mind wrinkling clothes. You know, do, do, we look at, do we look at people differently because maybe the way they dress or the way they look, do they not look like you or maybe a different nationality, maybe a different color, maybe their language is different, a little bit different than yours, they have an accent. You, you, you know, do they, feel, do they feel like they were loved when they, when they were here? Or do they feel like they've been judged? This is a big thing. Do they know what you stand for or just what you're against? Do they know that you are a follower of the way? Do they know that you are passionate about your love for Christ? Do they know that you want to reach out to the world and impact it and expand the kingdom of God for the glory of God do they know that about you? Or do they only know that I don't like you because you sin? You, you committed adultery. You're gay. You're any one of these sins the church really loves to hate. The problem is, is we need to stop hating the sinner and just hate the sin. If anybody comes in here and feels condemned, because regardless of what they do, there's a problem. We cannot expect the world to act like us, they are not us. We need to understand and extend grace. That even though I don't agree with the things that you do and I don't agree with your lifestyle or any of these things you do, I still choose to love you because Jesus chose to love you. I guarantee you that anyone and any of these sins that we can talk about that we've loved to judge over the, over the years and try to ostracize and separate us from these, these different people, Jesus died for them as much as he died for us. God doesn't hate anyone For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes, whosoever believes, anybody who walks in here that doesn't know Jesus, they are the whosoever. We've been blessed. We're the 99 found sheep. We're the 99. If, if the shepherd cares about the one that's strayed away, that has to be important to us. We have to care about that person. We have to pursue that person. It says the good shepherd leaves the 99 to pursue the one that was lost. If we're not doing the same thing that the good shepherd's doing, we're out of line. We're not in the center of the Father's will. We just aren't. We need to be purposeful. With, with with what we say and what we do and their actions, who we give to, you know, the events that we do to try to draw people, we need to be responsible and purposeful. And when people come here and I don't care what their sin is, they need to feel loved. Because you wanna know what? If we don't love our brother and our sister, or even the people in the world, the love of God is not in us. That's not original. I didn't just come up with that. The love of God is not in you. Heart check. The church is really good. I'm not saying Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church. I'm talking about the church is really good at throwing stones, it's really good at making people feel condemned and not wanted and unloved. And it's not a safe place for many people. Why? Because it's our fault. We have made them feel that way. And, I'm not, and again, I'm not talking about this body. I'm talking about the church in general. A lack of unity. This is the other thing. An indicator of a lack of vitamin C. A lack of unity. i got to make sure I'm on the right thing here. Here we go. Mark 3.25. Again, this is Jesus speaking. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. We won't always agree. We won't. But at the end of the day, even if we don't agree, we need to be on the same page. Because I'm going to tell you what, you put two people together, you're going to find disagreement. I guarantee you there's people who don't like the way I do things. I guarantee you there's other people in this church who might not like the way they do things. But at the end of the day, when all is said and done, we need to be of one mind, of one purpose. And we have to be working together for the sole purpose of exalting Christ and winning lost souls. No matter how we got to do it even, if it, even if it's a matter of surrendering our own rights over things to win for the cause of Christ, we have to be a unified church. It's not biblical, but united we stand, divided we fall. It's a biblical concept. (laughs) Philippians 2, 1 and 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Like-minded. What's the opposite of like-minded? We talked about it. Double-minded. What's Paul saying? He's saying don't be double-minded, be like-minded. We need to be like-minded in tenderness. We need to be like-minded in compassion. We need to be like-minded in the things that we do. Like-minded with the fact that, like I said, even if we don't agree, that we need to be like-minded in why we are here and what we're doing and how we're going to get there by loving Christ and lifting His name. If I'm not doing that from this pulpit, you're not going nowhere. You're not. If you're not doing that in your personal life, I can tell you that I... I, I, I I'm not just saying this I think this church is on to something and it has nothing to do with me I assure you I am not the sharpest knife in any drawer or the brightest crayon in any box but I think God has a, a, a plan and we need to not only have this right as a church we need to be like minded because if he does choose to move us forward and you're not on the same page, the train's leaving. Make sure you're on it. Because I assure you, if you go where this train's going, if we're exalting Christ, you will be blessed. You will be amazed. Think about what Jesus said. What did all he do? He was healing people, healing lepers. He was raising people from the dead. Greater things are you going to do than what I've done. The train's going to someplace Amazing. I don't even know the, the, how big that is, but we're going someplace. And we need to be like-minded. We need to be on the same page. Continuing in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking for your own interests, but each of you for the interest of others. The church is not the place For you to get whatever it is that you just need for yourself. If you if you feel if 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 you're coming here just because your only thing is not concern for others and it's not Christ, and it's just how can I gain from this? How can I gain from this? Selfish ambition. Don't come to the church with selfish ambition. Christ, there is nothing selfish about Christ. If we want to be Christ-like. It can't be about what we want. John 17. Again, Jesus, the high priestly prayer we talked about. God, please take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. Jesus came to the table not caring about what he had to gain. He came to the table thinking of others and putting others ahead of himself. We need to be like Christ, putting others above our own ambitions. If we want to be in the will of the Father, we need to be this way. How good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity? Psalm 133.1. You might say pastor throws a lot of scripture at us every week. There's a reason why you need to know this isn't me. This isn't my idea. Everything I stand up here and preach, I validate it with scripture because it is his will. It is his desire. It is his plan. The only thing I do is commit myself to figuring out what that is. God, help me know the way. And you need to see, this is not about Greg Voorhees. It's not. It's not. It's not about me at all. It's about him. And we cannot live in unity when we're only looking for out for ourselves. Just can't happen. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. I'll be landing this plane soon, I promise problems. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear each other and forgive one another of any of you who has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect what? unity. When we love perfectly, when we stop casting stones, when we stop being condemners and pointing people to a Savior, we will walk in perfect love and we will be bound together in perfect unity. Amen. Our heart needs to be one with God's. It needs to be